Just a few weeks ago, Manchester United looked nailed on for a Champions League spot. There was even talk of them challenging for the title. But things move quickly in football, and after a run of two league wins in five and a 7-0 humiliation at Anfield, Eric Ten Hag's team knows defeat at Newcastle on Sunday might make things a little close for comfort. After the League Cup final, it's a Magpies team that's out for revenge. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. Football changes, but the quality of my top-tipping team does not. Mark O'Hare poised like a coiled spring, ready to give us the best bets. Uh, Mark Newcastle back in the mix after back-to-back victories. This actually feels like quite a massive game for them. Yeah, I'd say it's probably a massive game for both teams, considering the lay of the land in the top-four battle. Uh, We talked on the Saturday show about Liverpool sort of putting themselves back in the picture. Um, Spurs, we don't know where they're going to go after what we've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks with Antonio Conte leaving. Um, But yeah, the top four battle has really sort of cranked up over the last six weeks and Newcastle's form was dropping off. Um, Spurs obviously going through the Miller. United having their own issues. Liverpool's improvements. Brighton, of course, in with a shout as well. So you could say this is a bit of a six-pointer. I'm expecting it to be quite tight, actually. Uh, They met, obviously, not so long ago in the League Cup final. United winning that match. 2-0, 2-0, but the goals arrived from a set-piece and a deflection. Uh, it was quite a competitive meeting for the most part. Newcastle probably weren't at their best, but um, if you go back to the reverse game at Old Trafford, it ended 0-0, um, which has been one of six 0-0s actually in Newcastle's Premier League campaign already this season. They do look back on the track because they made that change with Isak coming into the team. Uh, he's given them a bit of a, a new lease of life in the final third. wasn't quite aware of how good his goal-scoring record has been since his move. Six goals now in 10 Premier League appearances, which is quite impressive. Obviously, it's been a an injury-interrupted campaign for him. But um, Newcastle's defence, which has been quite solid, hasn't been quite as rock-solid recently. Zero clean sheets in six. Um, but they do tend to keep it quite tight against uh, elite opposition. Um, I think only um, seven of their 17 matches against uh, the top six teams under Eddie Howe featured three goals or more. Uh, so things tend to be quite tight. And Traditionally, their defence has been pretty tight under how um, it's the best defence in the division by quite a distance in terms of goals allowed. Uh, they've silenced 17, seven teams at St. James's Park already this campaign. So, And they're hosting a United team who, as you say, have had a few wobbles, fired blanks in the last two. You talk about those five games. Man United haven't played that well in any of those five Premier League matches either. Um, the 2-2 draw with Leeds was you know, a bit of a, a scratchy kind of return to try and pick up a point in that game. They did win the away, away game at Ellen Road. But the match against Leicester we've talked about a few times about how they were really under the caution the first half. And then those last two matches, admittedly a red card, influenced things against Southampton. But even still, failing to score at home to the side bottom of the table isn't ideal. They're coming into this match without Casemiro, suspended. Eriksen, of course. Garnacho now as well. Doubts over Rashford. Doubts over Martial and Sarbitzer. So there are quite a few key players who could be missing for United this weekend as well. Um, now, their raw defensive numbers don't look good, uh, particularly away from home. But uh, 54% of their goals conceded away have come at Man City, Liverpool and Arsenal, who I think you'd all probably say on their day are probably the three best attacking teams alongside Spurs in the division so no harm there but um yeah I just think 
I think there's quite a lot of stake here. I think it's going to be quite tight. And I was quite surprised to see under two and a half goals trading at just shy of evens. It's 1.95 on the exchange, which for me was big enough to get involved with. Um, obviously, I think the draw is a big runner here. Newcastle matches tend to be quite draw heavy. I think they've drawn more games than, than most, bar maybe Brentford in the division. But uh, if you're back in the draw, obviously the unders has to come into play because you've got the 0-0 and the 1-1 on side, but also the 1-0 and 2-0 in either direction. Um, I can't see either team sort of cutting loose in this match. And I think they'll be um, both very aware of perhaps you know the implications of losing, losing this fixture. So yeah, I thought under two and a half goals are close to even money in a Premier League campaign, which has seen a downturn in goal output since the turn of the year and the World Cup, I thought was a, a reasonable price to play here. Now, he's been polishing the XG robots to a dazzling shine. Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal is here. Jake, goal scoring was a problem for the Magpies. But as Mark says, since Isaac came back from injury, there does seem to be more of a threat about them going forward. There's, yeah, the threat was always there. They were creating the chances. I think I've said it on a couple of podcasts ago that, you know, from an XG perspective, they were ra racking up the chances. They just weren't putting the ball in the net. And, you know, you can go through periods like that throughout the course of a season where you just hit a really unlucky patch in front of goal um, and then you know the flip side you can hit a purple patch and score with pretty much every shot so um, yeah I, I was never too concerned about Newcastle because their underlying data was always very very strong and you know in fact they they performed like the third best team in the league this season based on the data even better than Manchester United who obviously currently sit third so um, yeah I, I've there's a lot I like about this Newcastle team, particularly in this game. Um, I know Mark there saying, making the case that you know United's struggles on the road are potentially a little bit overblown because of those matches against the the you know the three better home teams in the league, City, Liverpool, Arsenal. Well, if you know if you look at expected goal difference per home game in the league this season, Newcastle sit third above Arsenal, so that would put them in that kind of category of home team, um, the kind of team that, you, that United have shown that they struggle against. Um, so I, I do think this is going to be a very difficult game for them. Uh, the lack of Casemiro is huge because he obviously played in the cup final and can did a very, very good job um, in contributing to that clean sheet. Um, but yeah, away from home, they've been really, really poor. If, if you just take the you know over the course of the season so far, won six, drawn two, lost five, which is I think it's the, the fourth or fifth best away record in terms of points. Um, but they, they sit 10th best on expected goals process away from home. So there's been an overperformance there um, when traveling. And, you know, like I said, they've played three of the four best home teams in the league away from home, Liverpool, City, Arsenal. They've lost all three by an aggregate of 16-5. And the XG score has been 10-3. So it's not even been close when they've tra traveled to the best teams in the league. Um, so yeah, when, when, they, when they do make those journeys, uh, they are comfortably second best. And I think that Newcastle have shown me enough, particularly at home this season, that they, they are in that kind of class of Arsenal, Liverpool, maybe not quite at the Manchester City because they're plus 1.63 expected goal difference to 1.26. But you know, they are competing. They're rubbing shoulders with those kind of teams. And um, you know, their the home form just in general, seven wins from 13, they've lost just once suggests that, that they're going to be a very, very tough team to beat. And, and I think that they're, faith, they're fair favourites to win the game. I think the you know people might look at that and 2.5 for Newcastle wins a little bit short. I think it's probably should be a little bit shorter given the data and given what I've seen from both both sides. So, um, yeah, there's definitely value in my book in taking Newcastle to win. But 
I was really surprised that we can go to the Asian handicap and, and get Newcastle plus naught uh, at 1.8, which I think is a very backable number. And that gives you the security that if it is a low-scoring game that Mark thinks and, and it does end nil-nil or maybe 1-1, one, one, you get your money back. Um, I'd, be, I'd be very surprised if Manchester United won um, convincingly. I, I think that very surprised if they actually went there and got a victory because what we've seen from them recently has been um, you know, much more mediocre than what we saw um, at the start, at the right, at the beginning of the restart, and I think that's probably down to games. They played a lot of football, haven't they? It catches up with you eventually, and, and you know the injuries are piling up, which means the rotation um, and the drop off in in terms of starting eleven to bench is is, is wide. And I, yeah, I really think Newcastle have got a great chance of leapfrogging United at the weekend. Trader and tipster par excellence, Emmett O'Keefe completes the starting side. Emmett, just talking more globally. Should anyone at Manchester United be a bit concerned that they might not, not make the top four? Because we thought it was pretty nailed on a few weeks ago. Well, I'm one of those very concerned people. So I was totally Yeah, I'm extremely concerned. I think just I, I, I'd echo everything every, everything Jake has said there. Um, just yeah, on United, I think like my United fans have seen the Fred... Um, McTominay and Bruno Fernandes midfield many times before and they've seen it fail many times before. But like McTominay the... is now a world-class attacking midfield star, isn't he? He, he is, had the yeah. international break from the heavens. He did, he did, he did. But like, I think the, I think the, the ask from Eric Ten Hag is slightly different to the ask at, uh, at Scotland. I think it's, it, it's like the, the big thing is if, if, if you compare Christian Eriksen and 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 Casemiro to, to to kind of Fred and McTominay, there's many differences, but one of them is McTominay and Fred don't want the ball in tight spaces. Like they, if you're playing out against a press, Casemiro and Eriksen are really brave in possession, and 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 and, and, they'll, and they'll kind of progress, you know, up the field in a way that Fred and McTominay can't do. So I think this would be this would probably be a game where United are playing quite reactively and kind of very much on the counter attack because they simply don't have the midfielders to to kind of to, re, to really progress the ball. Like, I think yeah, uh, uh, Casemiro is an absolutely major loss, and as well, especially when you're playing up against, I think Newcastle when they have Joel Linton and Guimar and Guimarães playing, I think that's one of the best midfielders in the league, especially Guimarães. I'm, I'm a massive fan of. Um, also, as well for United, there are some fitness doubts surrounding Raphael Varane and Marcus Rashford. I think both them be massive loss. Everyone knows how important Rashford is United, but just with Varane, that Varane Martinez partnership has been really, really significant for United, and there's a big drop off from whether it's Lindelof or, uh, or 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 Harry Maguire coming in for Varane. Um, Newcastle are also missing um, Miguel Almiron and uh, possibly possibly Nick Pope. But as the lads have said, I think the kind of the the change of kind of the overdue change really of bringing Isaac into the starting lineup has kind of has kind of unlocked Newcastle's attack. Again, I'm uh, as a numbers guy, I'm not really into the kind of motivation angles. But I do think there's maybe a couple of percentage points in Newcastle's favour in the sense of just wanting revenge for the League Cup final. And that was a very kind of bad-tempered game. Anyone who watched it, but United's kind of tactics a bit cynical. United were kind of... I think like the likes of Lissandro Martinez were laying it on a bit thick in terms of the kind of the the, the theatrics and the celebrations. So I think Newcastle being That's incredible. not like him. He's usually no, very exactly. calm, Martinez. But, very chill, dude. No, but the, yeah. exactly the. So I think United. Were, I think Newcastle will be incredibly motivated to get the win. Uh, I expect the atmosphere to be absolutely red hot. 
so, so given all of that, and United's kind of patchy, uh, kind of patchy away record and recent form, anyone who watched the My United v Fulham FA Cup match will know that that wasn't that wasn't kind of a a three one United win on on the balance of play. I think there's there, there, there's a lot of doubts running United at the moment. So I think yeah, the as Jake said, the, the one point eight on Newcastle drawn a bet is is uh, is more than fair to me. Worth bearing in mind, you can take advantage of our Bet5 Get5 offer on this match. If you place a £5 bet builder on Newcastle against Manchester United, you'll get a £5 free bet. T's and C's apply, 18+. plus. See gambleaware.org. If we were going to put together some kind of bet builder, Mark, I'm guessing your contribution might be a, a lack of goals in this one. Yeah, if you're going in a, in a bet builder, I wouldn't mind under three and a half goals. Just gives you a bit more security. Um, see what other angles the guys have taken. But I, I just think it does allow you to sort of back the draw as well as a, a narrow Newcastle win as well. So, um, yeah, I'd be surprised if this game ends up being quite a high-scoring, entertaining affair. So under three and a half goals would be the start. Emmett, what would you think of dropping in there? Um, yeah, he's act to score. Maybe I think it's probably it's, it's, it's probably worth looking at given his recent form. Jake's have- furious. I think Jake was going to take that one. Yeah, yeah. If, if we've another, we've <laughs> we've an interesting market as well called um to to score, be shown a card, and Bruno Fernandez is worth a look there. Just he's he 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 he's racked up plenty plenty of cards this season in a game which I expect to be quite a feisty affair. He's usually kind of a he, he's kind of a, he's a fairly big runner in uh, both markets there at a reasonable price. Uh, there you go then. So Bruno Fernandez to score or be shown a card, and Jake that leaves you free for Isaac to score. Yep, he's had to score nice and easy. Um, he's he's definitely hit a lot of uh, well, he got good form before the break. His expected goal output's really really strong. Um, you know, he, he's not played a ton of minutes, but 0.83 expected goals per 95, which is um, it's right up there with the best in the league. So basically, that tells you that he gets on the end of very good chances very regularly, um, and that's kind of what you want when you've got an. A, Going for a goal scorer bet, and the price looks big. I, I would recommend it as a single, to be fair, at twenty-one to ten on the sports book, um, and definitely will hike the price of the of the um, the, the little bet builder. So yeah, let's go with that. Relegation six pointer in East London. West Ham face Southampton. West Ham, the one point seven nine favourites. Jake Southampton have had some decent results since Nathan Jones left. I think that was always going to be a bit of a boost for them. Uh, but I know you're very impressed by West Ham's home form against the lesser lights in the division. Yeah, for sure. Um, they've they've played six of those uh, relegation candidates at home. They've won four of them and all four have been to nil. Uh, and that's actually my bet here, which is West Ham win to nil. Um, nine to five. It's a little bit of a longer shot. So obviously reduce stakes a little bit compared to the other shorter price stuff that we put up. But yeah, they... They just I just think that West Ham were a team ready for a break. They were ready for a bit of a reset, get the legs back, uh, played a lot of football in short space of time. Um and yeah, they they've one thing they've been con- they've been very inconsistent throughout the course of the season, but they've been very consistent when playing against bad teams at home. So that that's the one kind of thing that you can put your finger on is that when they play rubbish teams, they play well. Um and they they're actually processing those matches six games, 1.6 expected goals four per game. 0.9 expected goals against per game. So, you know, there's a there's a, a decent amount of superiority there. The defensive process looks solid, which is kind of a, a calling card of West Ham of yesteryear, if you like, that they were always very tough to beat, tough to create chances against. Um, and they're taking on a Southampton team who, you know, won two, drawn two, lost two since Ruben Sellers took charge. But 
yeah, they've had a real lack of creativity. Um, there's been a bit of a theme since since he came in. Um, you know, the three three draw against Tottenham looks like an absolute anomaly in terms of the other results that they've put up uh, and the performances. In the five games prior to that draw, they'd average just 0.8 expected goals for per game, which is really, really poor, disappointing. And, and you know, for the team that's at the bottom of the league, it's not good enough. It's you, the bottom of the league. You need wins. You don't need draws. And ultimately. It looks like Sellers is trying to play a bit of fine margin football um, and get one nils his, in his way, and that's not really a sustainable way of, of going about business. So um, I think there's a gulf between these two teams. I, I still think West Ham are probably, um, you know, you look at their 11, um, they're probably. The squad's a, good, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. They're probably 12th, 11th best team in the league, uh, maybe even, even higher, depending on how you rank some of the players. But. Um, they've definitely underperformed this season, no doubt about it. They shouldn't be in this relegation battle. They've been a little bit unfortunate with some results, but the process has taken a turn for the worse from last season. I'm confident that they'll be able to steer themselves clear, though, and, and this is a very good game for them to start because they've got a very tough schedule coming up after this. Um, so it's really important to get three points on the board, and, and I think they'll do that with a shutout. I think they're going to win the Conference League as well. But there we go. Let's see if they can actually pull that off. Uh, Mark, I know you've got a take on this one. Yeah, um, similar-ish, I guess. Um, I'll be back in under two and a half goals in this match. Um, it's 1.82. I think that's a, a very reasonable price to take here. Um, only concern about West Ham is just the lack of league wins already this season. I know most of those are coming against the, the lesser lights, but just six league wins all season. So I don't want to be back in them at, at odds on quotes. And I thought under two and a half goals was the, the more uh, attractive alternative because it allows for the, the narrow home win as well as the draw or, or perhaps the Southampton away victory. You know, three they have won three times away at bottom six rivals already this season. So there's no reason why they can't go to a, a Hammers team who have been sort of lacking confidence for the most part of the campaign and, and put on a bit of a defensive uh, showing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean... For, for me, the 3-3 against Spurs, um, I just think it will absolutely galvanise that Southampton group, provide a huge amount of belief and spirit and character. To me, it shows that they are working in the right direction. They had to go through a fair degree of adversity in that match, not just to come back from the, the two-goal deficit, but they lost both centre-halves, better Kotchup and Bednarak before half-time and still managed to, to pull out a result, which has been really impressive. Uh, I think Ruben Sellers has been making them more competitive and has been making strides in the right direction. Um, Theo Walcott's been a surprising kind of recall, leading the line alongside Shea Adams. They've been combining actually quite nicely, even if chance creation hasn't been that impressive. So I think Southampton can be competitive. Uh, they've earned as many points in the last six Premier League games as they had in their previous 17. Uh, as I say, they've won at three of their bottom six rivals already. So I don't want to dismiss them as no hopers in this match. Obviously, goal scoring is going to be their downfall if there is one. But uh, interestingly, I saw that um, no sides have kept fewer clean sheets in the Premier League this season than Southampton or West Ham, just four and five collectively. So I can see why some people might fancy BTTS in this match. But um, I just think, you know, backing under two and a half goals, you allow for the 1-1 the one, one, as well as the 0-0, nil, nil, the 1-0, nil, 2-0, nil, either way. This is a six-pointer at the bottom of the table. Traditionally, they do tend to be tight affairs. And actually, the, the numbers, the raw numbers are so strong in terms of unders. 19 of West Ham's 26 Premier League games have gone under two and a half goals, including 11 of 14 at the London Stadium, which is a, a massively high strike rate for the Premier League. Five of Southampton's six under sellers have gone under two and a half goals as well. And if you look at these two teams' records against their relegation rivals, unders has landed in eight of West Ham's 11 uh, and also seven of Southampton's 12. But actually, if you look at Southampton's record against the bottom half collectively, 
eight of their 14 games haven't just gone under two and a half goals. They've gone under one and a half goals as well. So, um, yeah, I just thought 1.82, uh, a slightly better price than West Ham to win was the, the way to go. Emmett got some kind of amusing text during that uh, that build-up of West Ham Southampton. Any anything overly amusing, Emmett, or just a just a friendly in joke with somebody? Ah, uh, just uh, yeah, just just uh, a, a friend a, a friend abusing me for a kind of a, a, a previous comment that I'd made about mine. I had usual oh, story, good. really. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Always good uh, to see the guests abused at some stage on the show. Poor old Jake usually gets the brunt of that, truth be told. Uh, By the way, uh, that bet builder that we put together for you earlier, Newcastle against Manchester United, I'm led to believe 13.22 is the combined price for that. To Italy then, Napoli can take another massive step towards winning the Serie A title if they beat the current champions Milan. Emmett Napoli, 1.8 favourites here. They've been relentless. It feels like they're like 37 points clear. They're not, but they might as well be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't put anyone off the, the Napoli to win to, to win the match. But just the bet I like more is, um, again, no prize for originality here. Victor Osman to score at, at, yes. at, at an even money. He Since Christmas, he scored in 11 out of Napoli's 14 matches. He scored 15 goals in that stretch. He scored four goals in Napoli's last two matches. He scored a couple of goals um, in the international break for for, for for Nigeria. You're getting one of the world's best strikers, I think, in red hot form. And facing a Milan side, they've lost their two, the last two away matches to kind of Fiorentina and Udinese. So he should get a few chances here. As a side note, and again, this might be too Man United centric here, but I think if Man United are make, if there's any decision to make between Harry Kane and Osman, I think Osman's a far better bet. I think uh, Kane, Kane's a potentially a player in decline whose kind of athleticism is, I think, is is, is on the wane. Whereas I think Osman is a player who's coming into his peak, and I think is, I think, other than maybe Erling Haaland, I think he's, I think he's, he's, he's definitely the top three best strikers in the world at the moment. I don't know why that's a choice United have to make. They've got Veghorst, but there we go. Let's see uh, how that develops. Uh, We're making a few changes, by the way, to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. To France, Liga, like a siren call, often beckons to Mark O'Hare. Monaco versus Strasbourg, the pick today. Yeah, there's a lot in Ligue 1 I like this weekend, but this price really stood out to me. Um, Ligue 1 has been quite fun so far this season, averaging a decent 2.81 goals per game. But uh, 57% of matches in this division have seen both teams score. And I think the game on Sunday between Monaco and Strasbourg has the potential to enhance those figures. Um Monaco, short price favourites to win this game. I would be steering clear of that. Uh, they are anything but reliable operators in the Principality. They're mid-table when viewing the home-only results uh, in Ligue 1 so far this season. Uh, and a big part of that is their defence. Uh, only Cloimont and Angers have conceded more home goals than Monaco so far this season. Just two clean sheets and 14 at the Stade Louis II. Uh, and actually across all venues in Ligue 1, just two clean sheets and 14 going back to early November as well. Uh, they do like to play front foot football under Philippe Clement. Um, nobody has scored in more Ligue 1 games this season than Monaco. They've scored in all bar two of their 28 matches. So they do know where the back of the net is. They've got plenty 
plenty of very effective marksmen leading the line, creative players as well just behind. They play attacking football, but uh, obviously defensively they can be exposed. And that's led to a, a glut of BTTS games, actually 64% overall, but that increases to 71%. Uh, in the Principality. Uh, they're playing a Strasbourg team who are starting to recover from what's been a, a bit of a nightmare campaign. Still very much in the relegation battle, but um, I think it's just two defeats in seven now. Uh, they are trending in the right direction under Frederic Antonetti. Um, they have got too much quality, I think, to, to go down. We've said that a few times so far this season, but they're starting to show it now too. Uh, and up front, Habib Diallo is having a, a terrific sort of resurgence in the last couple of months, really. Ten goals in his last 14 appearances. Uh, very influential recently. He's up front alongside uh, Kevin Gamero so uh, a really sort of star strike force really for a team battling relegation there for Strasbourg so um, Antonetti's made them much more battle hardened much more ugly difficult to beat um, they are very competitive in the middle of midfield but um, I just think going forward they have more than enough to cause trouble to this Monaco team they scored in 22 of 28 league games including 10 of 13 away they scored at both PSG and Marseille, so no real reason for them to be intimidated by a trip to Monaco. Uh, but ultimately, defensively, they have been uh, pretty atrocious at times so far this season. Just three clean sheets all season. Uh, only Trois have kept fewer clean sheets in Ligue 1. 71% of their matches have seen both teams scoring. That increases to 77% away. So we're getting 1.91 here on both teams to score. Uh, again, a quick look at my XG model suggests that's a big too, a bit too big, really. So I think if you strip out the, the sort of names, the reputations, and analyse the underlying data, I think both teams to score should be a lot shorter than that. So yeah, BTDS, Monaco, Strasbourg. Finally, it's time to talk about Tottenham, whether their fans want us to or not. We'll get Jake's tip on their game against Everton in a bit. But first, Emmett, the departure of Antonio Conte was rather predictable after his rant after the game against Southampton? Absolutely. I'm kind of, um, yeah, I, I'd be one of Antonio Conte's biggest fans. I'm, I, I love him as a character. He's he's, he's absolute box office in terms of his kind of public utterances. And he's kind of, you're, he's nearly the last of the kind of successful um, ruled by fear managers, I feel like, now that kind of Jose Mourinho is kind of relegated to, I think, the second second class in terms of the kind of top top level European managers. I just, I'm just not, I'm not sure. Like, as if you look at the Conte career arc, other than this season, there's no evidence that he was a manager in decline. I think, like, he did an excellent job at Inter Milan, even last season. I think last season to get Tottenham from the kind of the, the kind of rabble they were under under Nuno to kind of to, 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 to ahead of a, a decent, a pretty good Arsenal team to make top four was a serious, serious achievement without much investment and quite a limited squad. So, and then just, but just this season, they haven't looked right at all. I don't know whether they were overtrained in preseason. There's, there's like they're kind of their Jekyll and Hyde nature, where they like they basically wouldn't play at all in the first half, and then would sit deep, and then would go behind, and they'd come on strong in the second half, and maybe nick a draw. The whole season, their whole this whole season has been has been, has been really really strange. Obviously, they're the caveats in terms of kind of Conte's kind of per, the, the tra personal tragedies that yeah. like the Conte's endured in terms of Gianluca Vialli, in terms of Tottenham's fitness coach, and it's 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 hard to. It's hard to kind of factor into how that how that might affect anyone. But this is what he does. Uh, I mean, he's always done this. I mean, you're absolutely right to point that out because he's had an incredibly tough few months personally. He lost Sinisa Mihailovic as well. Um, you know, this has been a really tough time for him. But before all of that, he was a pain to Suning at Inter and he was a pain to some of the players as well. And as soon as they sold Lukaku and Hakimi, he went, right, see you later. 
I guess, yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? When you're like, uh, it's that phrase, but like sometimes it, it's it's about the kind of the, are, are you worth the trouble? Like say for I mean, back in the day, Roy Keane was obviously a very combative character, Man United, but because when he was such he was an unbelievable player, Alex Ferguson would, would put up with his eccentricities when he declined in quality, then he was basically out the door because he, he wasn't he wasn't worth the trouble. Similarly with Conte, if you're getting that kind of, if you feel like he's getting the maximum out of your squad, like he was at Inter, like he was at those previous jobs, you're willing to put up with the public utterances. We saw some some kind of public utterances of, of a similar nature last season, but ultimately Tottenham got the result they wanted from the season, so they want to put up with it. And, and, and this year, that kind of hasn't been the case and it's and when it goes bad with Conte it, it, it's, it's it's going to go really bad I would just I would just say with Tottenham like any kind of per fan who's kind of putting this all on Conte is just is severely mistaken I Daniel Levy's done an absolutely terrible job with Tottenham over the last few years like the way he handled the end of the Pochettino era in terms of not selling the players at the right time and not giving Pochettino the kind of squad he wanted he wasted and and I think really sabotaged the end of the Pochettino era and, and, and which, 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 which and, and I think which 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 I think if it had extended a couple of years in the right way Tottenham might have got that elusive trophy that, that they were looking for the Nuno hire was absolutely terrible the the, the the, the the Mourinho hire was totally ill-advised. Like, well, we said this at the time. I remember on the show because we were doing this show when Pochettino went, Mourinho was brought in. I think we were all pretty skeptical about that because if you remember when they hired Mourinho, just sorry to cut across you, just their list was one was like the, the shortest was Nagelsmann, Brendan Rodgers, who were like progressive attacking football, and then three is Mourinho. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, like it make that's, sense. that's a club who just doesn't know what they're that's a guy if you look if you're looking for managers doesn't know what they're doing. It's like I can't get my two chop choices. So I'll got I'll, I'll get a manager in who'll kind of who who will give me a good Amazon documentary and yeah. I'll, and I'll, and I'll improve the Spurs brand or, or well he whatever. seemed a bit starry eyed with Mourinho I always thought leave it there was this element of Levy kind of oh wow we got Jose Mourinho and it was all a bit it was all a bit as if he was thinking as a fan rather than an administrator and this Paratici nonsense is just beyond belief if anybody doesn't know their sporting director Fabio Paratici has been implicated in an investigation in Italy into Juventus's transfer dealings and as a result uh, he was given a 30 month ban from uh, Italian football and FIFA have extended that to worldwide football, which means you've got a sporting director who can't actually do the job. And so Spurs are saying they'll wait until April, until the the next hearing and the appeal, but it's all very unedifying and frankly, quite ridiculous. Mark, what did you make of, of Conte's uh, fireball-like exit from the club? Um, surprised and disappointed um, because... Um, Oh, I did expect him to leave, but probably I did expect him to see out the season. So it, to me, it looked like a, a head coach who, who wanted out now. And it was kind of a, a way to kind of speed up the process, but disappointed because I had such high hopes for him and such high hopes for Tottenham. And to see things not to come, fruition, come to fruition or get anywhere close to that, uh, deeply disappointed. And yeah, he's had a very tough personal um, experience over the last couple of months. But um, as Emmett says, you know, Still no excuses for what we saw uh, earlier in the campaign, which was largely quite dross performances from a Tottenham team who... The uh, Milan was... game was beyond belief. That yeah, home yeah. game against Milan's one of the worst performances I've seen from any team ever in any yeah. level. 
shocking, really, really shocking. Um, I kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt for the poor performances in Milan with the players missing in midfield and being in a away game. But I thought, you know, with the tie in the balance at home, big European night, Spurs fans really up for it. And it just, yeah, just very difficult to, to understand or, or put your finger on why or what's gone wrong. We've seen a few reports come out from the clubs recently that he was making the players run two kilometres in the morning of matches and things like that, which... Uh, don't know whether that's uh, you know accurate or whether it's a, a routine thing that most clubs do, but I know most players do tend to train on the morning of games, so maybe it's just a, a mountain out of a molehill. I don't know, but Spurs did look completely bedraggled and knackered most of the time when we saw them, which uh, surely there's something bigger at play there behind the scenes. But by most counts, some players really loved him and, and really enjoyed him. So um, yeah, very difficult did to, to start to... with. I think for that first year, they probably did. And then once he starts absolutely slating you in public... I think his mood, moody demeanour is is quite hard to deal with after a, probably a season or so. I think it probably can be quite grating on players. He never smiles. He never seems happy or, or satisfied. But I, I guess that's why he's been successful in the past. So, yeah, disappointed. Uh, I really had really high hopes. I thought he was a, a real coup for Spurs when they signed him. So, Jake, that brings us to Christian Stellini's Tottenham, as they will be for the rest of the season. And they've got Everton on Sunday. They do, yeah. Um, yeah. All, everything the lads have said is you just have to echo. I, I think I think that there's a point that I just want to make on that is that it, it goes towards Emmett's point about Daniel Levy is just not just not improving the, the spine of the team for the last seven years. It's been exactly the same. You know, you've got Lloris, you've got Dyer. And you've got Kane and Son. Like they, they've basically failed as a, as a group for seven, eight years, and for some reason they see them as untouchable and unmovable. But wasn't and that's there not an how you advance to do that? Bringing in Romero, bringing in Bentoncourt, bringing in Kulusevski. There was Richarlison. Wasn't there an attempt at least to freshen up those key positions? There, there, well, there was an attempt, but they're all still playing. So there's clearly attempt not worked. Um, and you know, ultimately they they were they were Conte signings, and now you've got rid of Conte. So. Again, it's just it's just bad planning all around, and and I the the, the outburst of Conte was you know you shouldn't be doing that as a manager unless you want to get sacked. But the stuff he was saying was completely accurate. Like you know the stuff about Tottenham and the group of players like not wanting it hard. Not you, you have to push yourself to the limit if you want to win anything in the game. And ultimately, Conte is a guy that demands that, and clearly the players don't didn't respond to that. And the same with Mourinho, exactly the same. You know. Mourinho is a hard, hard manager who wants to push you to get the best out of you. He's seen the Amazon documentary. I know it's, it's most of it is clipped up for mass audiences and whatever. But the stuff he was saying to Deli Ali, I mean, he just looks like what, like a you know, he was almost foreseeing his future. And that those managers that are they are they're thinning out as, as a breed in the, in the game right now. But it does seem as though the the players just just don't want to respond to that kind of hard work and that kind of pressure that's put on you and. Um, as a club like Tottenham, you're not expected to win anything. It's nice and easy. You know, you only have to finish in the top four, and it's a great season. Uh, as soon as the expectations piled on, you've got a manager in Conte who's won trophies before and expected to win a trophy. Then it starts to get more difficult. And you know, it, I, it does this. This kind of whole saga is a bit of deja vu to when Mourinho was sacked because you're bringing in effectively a rookie manager for the last however many games of the season just to try and. You know, cruise Spurs into some sort of position, and um, you know Stellini takes over a team that sit as the tenth best team based on the data since the restart. So they're not performing very well. Um, 
They've got a really tough schedule. They, they play five of the current top eight in the remaining fixtures. Um, and yeah, when Ryan Mason took over Jose Mourinho's side, they finished seventh in the league, finished in the Conference League. And unless things change drastically, history could well repeat itself. It's not daft to think that Liverpool, Newcastle and Brighton could leap for leapfrog Spurs from now to the end of the season and then Spurs finishing the Conference League. And, you know, it, you're just going around in circles and it does it does just put it into perspective when you've got teams like your Brightons and your Brentfords that are excelling with tiny budgets compared to Tottenham. Surely you take take a look and just go, what are they doing differently to us? Well, they're actually planning and, you know, they have succession plans. They Everything is from the top down. Everyone is in line and you don't have a director of football who's banned from doing his job, like all, all those kind of things. So um, I think it's going to be a fascinating watch. I really do. And, and leading towards the Everton game, you know, Stellini's worked with Conte since he was since 2011. He was his assistant back then. Um, you know, talking about people who've been banned from football, he has actually been banned from football as well himself. Uh, you know, in a match fixing scandal at Juventus back in 2012, um, he's only ever managed one professional team, and that was a Serie C side, Alessandria. That was 2017. So he's never actually had you know flown solo for a long period of time before um, at this kind of level. And you'd have to suspect, given that he's been Conte's assistant for so long, that the style of play is not going to change too much. You know, I'd be massively surprised if he switched to a 4-3-3 and played all-out attack kind of football. I'd be hugely surprised. We saw little bits of it. I know Conte was probably picking the team and the and the, the eleven when he was um, uh, in in hospital, but you know, Stellini was on the touchline. He could have made adjustments in game, and it was still very negative in the way in which they wanted to play. So. Um, I, I'm fully expecting the same kind of football, the same kind of style. Uh, and yeah, Everton are a team that I, I think they probably deserve a little bit more credit than what they've been given recently. Um, Sean Dyche has gone in there and not only has he got results, but the performances have been really good. They, they've created chances at a very high rate, something that you don't really see from a Dyche style um, team. You know, it's something that's not, it's not a kind of a tag that follows him around, but They've actually created the eighth most expected goals uh, per game since he took over. They're averaging nearly 1.7, which is really impressive. Um, and yeah, from the attacking-minded manager of Frank Lampard that was averaging 1.2, it's a big leap from um, good old Dice, Dice Ball. So that's another, the, that's another tick, another show where Jake's had a go at Frank Lampard. Excellent. This, this show has had everything. We've had Lampard dig, we've had a Tottenham dig. This is yeah, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, we had, we had a Man United dig as well, just for anyone else out there. So yeah, well, Jake's the expected boxes. digs at Lampard figure is still very, very high. Yes. Yeah. Um, See, so yeah, I, I think I think Evan have got a great chance of getting another positive result. Uh, the home form has been really good. They've won um, three or four at home. Obviously, beat Arsenal, um, beat Brentford as well, who a team that I would put on a similar level to Spurs at the moment in terms of quality. Um, so yeah, the, the price that we're getting at the minute is. You know, it's plenty big enough. I, I think it should be shorter for an Everton win. Um, you can get Everton plus naught on the Asian handicap, which I think is a cracking bet at 2.5. Um, that, that's something that definitely appeals to me. So effectively money back if the game ends uh, in a draw. Um, and the main reason, as I said, the Spurs have performed really poorly from a, a data perspective since the restart. They've averaged just 1.1 expected goals for per game. So they're just not creating any, any chances at, uh, on a consistent basis. Um, and that leads to another bet that I thought was a little bit big, which was under two and a half goals at, at 1.85. So all four Everton home matches under Dyche have featured um, under two, have gone under two and a half goals. Um, or both teams have scored no, landing in all of those as well. 
I think it'd be a very cagey game. Spurs don't create much, um, and Everton will. You know, I think a draw would suit Everton, to be honest. But um, I, I, I can see this being a low-scoring Everton win, and then all of a sudden the pressure piles even more on Tottenham. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Plenty of other great shows on the Betfair network, including Cricket Only Better as they dig into the IPL. We've got two racing shows for you, Racing Only Better and the Wade In podcast. From Jake, from Mark, from Emmett and from me, it's goodbye for now.